The Thousand Quilt from Rebecca Mary by Annie Hamilton Donnell. Recorded for Love Stories, Volume 3 by Rita Boutros. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Thousand Quilt from Rebecca Mary by Annie Hamilton Donnell. "'Good afternoon,' Rebecca Mary said politely. The minister's wife was cutting little trousers out of big ones, the minister's big ones. It was the old puzzle of how to steer clear of the thin places. "'Boys grow so,' sighed tenderly the minister's wife over her work. She had not heard the voice from the doorway. "'Good afternoon,' again. It was a quaint little figure in tight red calico standing there. It might easily have stepped down from some old picture on the wall. Rebecca Mary had a bundle in her arms. It was so large that it obscured breast and face, and only a pair of grave blue eyes, presided over by thin light brows, seemed visible to the minister's wife. The trousers' puzzle merged into this one. Now who could— "'Oh, oh, it's Miss Plummer's little girl Rebecca,' she said cordially. Rebecca Mary, her niece, came, a little muffled from behind the great bundle. Rebecca Mary's niece? Oh, you mean Miss Plummer's niece, and your whole name is that. But I suppose she calls you Rebecca, or Becky, for short. Walk in, Rebecca. But Rebecca Mary was struggling with the paralyzing vision of Aunt Olivia calling her Becky. She had passed by the lesser wonder of being called Rebecca without the Mary. "'Oh, no, I'm indeed. Aunt Livia never shortens me,' gently gasped the child. And the minister's wife, measuring from the bundle down, smiled to herself. There did not seem much room for shortening. "'But walk in, dear. You are going to walk in. I hope you have come to make me a little call.' Rebecca Mary struggled out of her paralysis. Here was occasion for new embarrassment, for Rebecca Mary was honest— "'Noim, I mean, not a little call. I've come to spend the afternoon,' she said slowly, "'and I've brought my work.' The bundle, the great bundle, was her work. She advanced into the room and began carefully to unroll it. It was the turn of the minister's wife to be paralyzed. She pushed forward a chair, and the child sat down in it. "'It's my thousand quilt that I'm making for Aunt Livia,' explained Rebecca Mary. "'It's most done.' There's a thousand pieces in it, and I'm on the nine hundred and ninety-one. I thought probably you'd have some work, so I brought mine. Yes, I see. The minister's wife stood looking down at the tight little red figure among the gorgeous waves of the thousand quilt. They eddied and surged around it in dizzy reds and purples and greens. She was conscious of being a little seasick, and for relief she turned back to the puzzle of the little trousers. It had been in her mind at first to express sorrow at Rhoda's being unfortunately away, and the boys. Now she was glad she hadn't, for it was quite plain enough that the visitor had not come to spend the afternoon with the minister's children, but with the minister's wife. "'It isn't she that's young, it's I,' thought the minister's wife with kind, laughing eyes. "'She's old enough to be my mother.' "'How old are you, dear?' she added aloud. Me? I guess you mean Aunt Livia, don't you? It's Aunt Livia's birthday I'm making it for. 
It's going to be a present. Once she gave me a present on my birthday. Once? The minister's wife remembered Rhoda's birthdays and the boys. Taken all together, such a host of little birthdays. But this little old, old visitor seemed to have had but one. My birthday is two days quicker than Aunt Livia's is, volunteered the visitor sociably. We're most twins, you see. Aunt Livia was fifty-six that time she gave me the present. She's a-going to be fifty-nine when I give her this quilt. It's taken me ever since to make it. The minister's wife looked up from her cutting. So Rebecca Mary was only fifty-nine. It's quite a long quilt, sighed Rebecca Mary. But pride woke in her eyes as she gazed out on the splendors of the green and purple sea. A thousand quilt has so many stitches in it, but when you sew em all yourself, when you sew every single stitch— the pride in Rebecca Mary's grave blue eyes grew and grew. Robert, the minister's wife said that night to the minister, it's an awful quilt, but you ought to have seen her eyes. It's taken her three years to make it. Maybe you wouldn't be proud yourself. Maybe you wouldn't if Rhoda had made it. Rhoda, Robert, she sewed one square of patchwork once, and it made her sick. I had to put her to bed. Speaking of once reminds me. Once Rebecca Mary had a birthday present, Robert. She waited a little anxiously for him to understand. The minister always understood, but sometimes he made her wait. Felicia, are you trying to make me cry, he said, and she was satisfied. She went across to him, as she always did when she wanted to cry herself. The floor was strewn with the tiniest boys' engine and cars, and she remembered as she zigzagged among them that they had been one of his very last birthday presents. It was, Robert, what do you think the present was? I'll give you three guesses, but I advise you to guess a rooster. Thomas Jefferson, murmured the minister, as one who was acquainted. Yes, that is his name. How did you remember? She is very fond of him. He is her intimist friend, she says. So she is under great obligations to her aunt. It's a large quilt, but it's none too large to cover Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to help her buy a lining and cotton batting. Cracked corn will make a good lining, but cotton ba— Robert, this is not a comedy. If you'd seen Rebecca Mary and the quilt, you'd call it a tragedy. You couldn't surprise me any if you told me she'd quilted it herself. Down the road from Aunt Olivia's farm, across its southern boundary fence, romped and shouted all day long the Tony Trumbulses. No one, except possibly their mother, was quite certain how many of them there were. It was a dizzy process to take their senses. They were never still, in little brown bare limbs, nor shrill voices. From sunup to sundown, the Tony Trumbulses raced and laughed. Certainly they were happy. The minister's wife had not dared to tell her caller of the afternoon that the minister's children were down there shouting and racing with the little Tony Trumbulses. Dear no, not after Rebecca Mary, in the course of conversation, had said that Aunt Olivia did not countenance the Tony Trumbulses. Rebecca Mary did not say countenance, but it meant that. Her aunt won't let her play with them, Robert. "'And she'd like to. You needn't tell me Rebecca Mary wouldn't like to. I saw it in her poor little solemn eyes. Besides, she said she asked her aunt once to let her. Robert, 
ants are cruel. I never knew it before. They've no business bringing up little Rebecca Marys. My dear Felicia. But in the minister's eyes was agreement. Aunt Olivia took afternoon naps with punctilious regularity. Aunt Olivia herself was punctilious regularity. At half-past one, day upon day, she hung up the dish-towel, hung up her kitchen apron, and walked with unswerving course into her bedroom. There, disposed upon the dainty bed, in rigid lines of unrest, she rested. The naps were often long ones. A little after the afternoon that Rebecca Mary spent at the minister's, the birthday quilt was finished. The thousandth tiny piece was neatly over and over to its gorgeous expanse, but Rebecca Mary was not content. She longed to make it complete. She wanted to surprise Aunt Livia with it, as Aunt Livia, on that momentous birthday of her own, had surprised her with the little fluff bowl of yellow down that had grown into Thomas Jefferson. That had been such a beautiful surprise. But this! Aunt Livia had seen the quilt so many, many times. She had taught Rebecca Mary's stiff little fingers to set the first stitches in it. She had made her rip out this purple square and that pink checked one, and this one and that one and that. Oh, Aunt Livia was acquainted with the quilt. It would not be much of a surprise. But Rebecca Mary set her little pointed chin between her little brown palms and pondered, and out of the pondering grew a plan so ambitious and so daring that Rebecca Mary gasped in the throes of it but she held her ground and entertained it intrepidly. She even grew on friendly terms with it in the end. Here was a way to surprise Aunt Livia. Rebecca Mary would do it. That it would entail an almost endless amount of work did not daunt her. Rebecca Mary was a plumber, and plumbers were not to be daunted. The long vista of patient hours of trying labor that the plan opened up before her set her blood tingling, like a warrior's on the eve of battle. What were long patient hours to a plumber? Rebecca Mary girded up her loins and went to meet them. Thereafter, at Aunt Olivia's nap times, Rebecca Mary disappeared. Day after day, week upon week, she stole quietly away when the door of Aunt Olivia's bedroom shut. The first time she went oddly loaded down with what would have appeared if there had been any one for it to appear, to be a bundle of long sticks. She made two trips into the unknown that first day. The second time the bundle looked much like that one over which her grave blue eyes had peered at the minister's wife when she went to spend the afternoon with her. It was spring when the mysterious disappearances began. It was summer before Aunt Olivia woke up, not from her nap, but from her inattention. Quite suddenly she came upon the realization that Rebecca Mary was not about the house, nor about the grounds, for she instituted prompt search. She went to all the child's odd little haunts, the grapery, the orchard, the corn-house, even to her own beloved backyard, full of sweet-scented hiding nooks dear to a child, but sacred ground to Aunt Olivia. Rebecca Mary sometimes did her stents there as a special privilege, she might be there now, unprivileged. Aunt Olivia's backyard was almost as full of flowery delights to Rebecca Mary as it was to Aunt Olivia. The child was not there, not anywhere. 
Aunt Olivia sought for Thomas Jefferson to inquire of him, but Thomas Jefferson was missing too. She went the rounds again. Where could the child be? It was a hot, stinging day in late June when Aunt Olivia's suspicions awoke. They had been long in rousing, but once alert, they developed rapidly into certainties. Her pale eyes glistened, her thin nostrils dilated. Aunt Olivia's whole lean, sharp, unemotional person put on suspicion. The child had gone to see the Tony Tromboses. "'My land!' ejaculated Aunt Olivia, after all my forbidding. And she a plumber. She sat down suddenly as though a little faint. She had never known a plumber to disobey before. It was a new experience. It took time to get used to it, and she sat still a long time, rigid and grim, on the edge of the chair. Then, as suddenly as she had sat down, she got up. It could not be. She refused to entertain the suspicion longer. Rebecca Mary had not gone there, to that forbidden place. She was in the garden somewhere. Aunt Olivia, a little stiff, as if from a chill, went once more in search of the child. "'Rebecca! Rebecca Mary!' she called, at regular intervals. Then sharply, "'Rebecca Mary Plummer!' Her voice had thin cadences of suspicion lurking in it against its will. But there seemed really no doubt. One by one, incriminating circumstances occurred to Aunt Olivia. Rebecca Mary had longed to go so much. The Tony Tromboses, one at a time, or in a tumultuous body, had urged her so often. She herself had more than once caught the child gazing wistfully, in passing by, at the bewildering, deafening frolics of the little Tony Tromboses. Once Rebecca Mary had asked to go barefoot as they went. Once she had let out the tight little braids in her neck and rumpled her thin little hair. Once Aunt Olivia had come upon her playing. The remembrance of it now tightened the lines around Aunt Olivia's lips. The child had been running wildly about the yard, shouting in a strange, excited, ridiculous way. When Aunt Olivia, in stern displeasure, had demanded explanations, she had run on recklessly, calling back over her shoulder, "'Don't stop me! I'm a Tony Trumbull!' "'My land!' breathed Aunt Olivia, taking back the suspicion to her breast. After all my forbidding, she's gone down there. She's been going down there dear knows how long. She's waited till I took my naps, and then went. A plumber! There was really nowhere else she could have gone. She had never wanted to go anywhere else except to the minister's, and Rebecca Mary was punctilious, and would not think of going there again till the minister's wife had returned her visit. But Aunt Olivia waited. As usual, she went to her room next day at nap-time, and closed the door behind her. But when a little figure slipped down the road towards the forbidden place a moment later, she was watching behind her blinds. She was groaning as if in pain. The little figure began to run staidly. Aunt Olivia groaned again. The child was in a hurry to get there. She couldn't wait to walk. There was guilt in every motion of the little figure. "'And she runs like a plumber,' groaned Aunt Olivia. "'The next day, and the next, Aunt Olivia watched behind her blinds. "'The fourth day she put on her afternoon dress "'and followed the hurrying little figure. "'Not at once. Aunt Olivia did not hurry. "'There was a sad reluctance in every movement. "'It seemed a terrible thing to be following Rebecca Mary. 
Rebecca Mary Plummer, to a forbidden place. Afar off, Aunt Olivia heard faintly the shoutings that always heralded an approach to the Tony Tromboses and shuddered. The tumult kept growing clearer. She thought she detected a wild, excited little shout that might be Rebecca Mary's. Her thin lips set into a stern straight line. A splash of red caught Aunt Olivia's eye as she drew nearer the joyous whirl of little children. Rebecca Mary wore a little tight red dress. The coil seemed closing in about the child. Close to the southern boundary fence of Aunt Olivia's land stood an old empty barn. It had been a place for storing surplus hay once, when there had been surplus hay. For many years now it had been empty. As Aunt Olivia approached it, she noticed that its great sliding door was open. Strange, when for so long it had been shut. "'If that old barn door ain't open,' breathed Aunt Olivia, stopping in her astonishment. "'I ain't seen it open before in these ten years. Now what I want to know is, who opened it? Likely as not those screeching little wild engines.' She strode across the stubby grass ground to the barn and peered into its cool, dim depths. Then Aunt Olivia uttered a little bewildered cry. Gradually the dimness took on light, and the whole startling picture within unfolded itself to her astonished eyes. Rebecca Mary was quilting. She was stooping earnestly over a gay expanse of purples and reds and greens. Her little tight red back was towards Aunt Olivia. It looked bent and strained. Rebecca Mary's eyes were very close to the gay expanse. Suddenly Rebecca Mary began to speak, and Aunt Olivia's widened eyes discovered a great white rooster pecking about under the quilt. His big snowy bulk stood out distinct in the shadow of it. "'I'm glad we're almost through. Aren't you, Thomas Jefferson? It's been a pretty long quilt. You get sort of tired when you quilt a long quilt. It makes your back creak when you unbend it. "'And when you quilt in a barn, of course you can't see without squinching, "'and it hurts your eyes to squinch.' Silence again, except for the industrious peck-peck of the great white rooster. Aunt Olivia stood very still. "'You've been a great help, Thomas Jefferson,' began again the voice of Rebecca Mary, after a little. "'I'm very much obliged to you, as I've said before. "'I don't know what I should have done without you.' "'No, you needn't answer. I couldn't hear a word you said. You can't hear with cotton in both of your ears.' Rebecca Mary sighed. There was no cotton in Aunt Olivia's ears to shut out the soft little sound. "'But of course you have to wear it in, on account of your conscience. It's conscience cotton, Thomas Jefferson. I've explained before, but I don't know as you understood. It seems a little unpolite to wear it in my ears, with you here keeping me company.' I suppose you think it's un-unsociable. But Aunt Olivia doesn't allow me to associate with the Tony Tromboses. Oh, Thomas Jefferson, I wish she'd allowed me to associate. Aunt Olivia found herself wishing she had conscience cotton in both of her ears. They're such nice, cheerful little children. It makes you want to go right over their fence and hollow, too. Rebecca Mary pronounced it hollow with careful precision. Aunt Olivia would not approve of holler. And when you can't, you like to listen. But I suppose listening to them holler would be sociating. So I put the cotton in. The joyous hollowing broke in waves of glee on Aunt Olivia's eardrums. It seemed to be assaulting her heart. 
Oddly, now it did not sound unmannerly and dreadful, it sounded nice and cheerful. A plumber even might be happy like that. "'Cotton is a very strange ex experience, Thomas Jefferson,' ran on the little voice. "'At first you most can't stand it, but you get over the worst of it by and by. Besides, we're getting most through now. Ain't that splendid, Thomas Jefferson?' and it's pretty lucky too because aunt livia's birthday is getting very near it-it almost scares me doesn't it you for i don't know how aunt livia looks when she's pleased you think she'll look pleased don't you thomas jefferson it's such a long quilt and when you've sewed every stitch yourself if rebecca mary had turned round then she would have seen how aunt livia looked when she was pleased but the little figure at the quilting frame bent steadily to its task only another soft sigh stealing into Aunt Olivia's uncottoned ears. Thomas Jefferson pecked his way towards the open door, and the lean figure there started back guiltily. Aunt Olivia did not want to be recognized. "'You there under the quilt, Thomas Jefferson?' The little voice put on tenderness. "'Because I'm a-going to tell you something. Once Aunt Olivia gave me a birthday present, and it was you! Such a little mite of a yellow chicken!' That's why I'm making the quilt for Aunt Livia. It was three years ago. I've loved you ever since, added Rebecca Mary, simply. For an instant, Aunt Olivia stopped being a plumber. A sob crept into her throat. Rebecca, Rebecca Mary, Rebecca Mary Plumber, she cried involuntarily. Then she stepped back hastily, glad for the cotton in Rebecca Mary's ears. For the surprise... She must not spoil the child's hard-earned surprise, and besides, Aunt Olivia wanted to be surprised. It was a relief to get away. She could not look any longer at the picture in the great cobwebby barn, the gorgeous quilt spread out to its full extent, the empty scaffolds above Rebecca Mary stooping to her work, Thomas Jefferson pecking about the floor. Aunt Olivia was not old. Through all the years ahead of her she would remember that picture. She went straight to the southern boundary fence and looked across at the jubilant little Tony Trumboses. The one in a red dress like Rebecca Mary's, she singled out with a pointing finger. "'You! Come here!' she called. "'I won't hurt you. No need to look scared. "'Do you know who I am? I'm Rebecca Mary's aunt. "'You know who Rebecca Mary is, don't you?' "'Gracious!' shrilled the little red Tony Trumble, which Aunt Olivia took for yes. "'Well, then, you know where I live.' You see here, I want you all, the whole kid of you, to come to my house tomorrow morning to see Rebecca Mary. I'm going to say it over again. Tomorrow morning to see Rebecca Mary. Setting apart the syllables with the pointing finger. You can play in my backyard, said Aunt Olivia, sublimely unconscious of slang. End of the Thousand Quilt from Rebecca Mary by Annie Hamilton Donnell